For hundreds of years, Christians and non-Christians alike have wrestled with the problem of evil. At some point, most of us have wondered how a good and powerful God can permit so much evil and injustice in the world around us. How can a good God prevent, uh, permit the kind of mass murder we see in New Zealand? We wonder why God so seldom seems to strike down the child molester or the terrorist or the dictator. Why do so many have to suffer for so long while it seems like monsters never get what they deserve? This is a difficult question, and the answer is not as simple as we could wish it to be. For some people, this question alone drives them away from faith in God altogether. For many years, the existence of evil was thought to be a decisive argument against God's existence, but that did change in a technical sense in the 1970s when Christian philosophers really destroyed the the logical and philosophical basis of that case, but it didn't take away any of the emotional potency of this question of evil, whether you are a believer or a skeptic. And the Bible has an enormous amount to say on the subject, but it does not present it in a straightforward, fortune-cookie manner that we're looking for. We want a nice, simple phrase that explains everything. And so the lack of that, the fact that we have to really search through Scripture and meditate and ponder, frustrates our, our short American attention spans. We have to really work to understand God's answer in both our heads and then even maybe more challenging in our hearts. And quite honestly, there's a limit to how much we human beings can fully, truly understand. On the one hand, there is a simple explanation. Evil exists because of human sin. So there's the fortune cookie, I suppose. We we live in a fallen world. Mankind's fall into sin not only gives us a a powerful compulsion to sin and gives everybody around us in the world a powerful compulsion to sin against us, but the fall corrupted and distorted all of creation, including our bodies and our minds and our emotions. And all of this is absolutely true, and yet still we find it is seldom sufficient to give us peace in the face of the everyday evil and injustice surrounding us. Truly, it's only as we read and reread and meditate through books of the Bible like Job, all 42 chapters, not just skipping to the end, Proverbs, all 31 chapters, Psalms, all 150 of them, Ecclesiastes, these long books as we spend years investing in understanding them, that we begin to really get a glimpse of God's perspective on this mortal life and the fallen state of his creation that he made so perfectly good. However, to help us out, Jesus does give a brief parable. And so today we're going to engage, as we are in our series in parables, we're going to look at this brief parable that explains one key element of God's purpose in permitting evildoers to live and in allowing injustice to go temporarily, and I will emphasize that, temporarily, unpunished. 
The parable is found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And Jesus explains this parable a little bit further in the chapter, in verse 37 and following. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is a brief but unbelievably rich parable about the continued presence of evil in the world. That which frustrates so many of us, Christian and non-Christian alike. The abundant weediness of the world around us is explained so thoroughly in this parable. And Jesus concludes with such a decisive encouragement for Christians, that I pray this parable will become a great source of insight and encouragement for you. I summarize Jesus' message to us this way. Live in our weedy world. Take comfort in God's justice. I want to begin by digging deeper into the parable of the weeds. Jesus is explaining to them and us how the kingdom of heaven works. And the kingdom was ushered in 2,000 years ago when Jesus first came. The kingdom of heaven, as we understand it through all of his teaching in the Gospels, is right here, right now, all around us, wherever Jesus is being worshipped. And Jesus compares his kingdom to a farmer planting seeds in his field. So the farmer is Jesus Christ. His field is the whole world, and the seeds of wheat that Jesus plants are his followers. So if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then you are the good seed planted by Jesus. You are the wheat. But unfortunately, in verse 25, Jesus also says the world is full of weeds, that his enemy, the devil, snuck in and planted weeds, bad seeds all throughout the field, all throughout the world. These seeds are unbelievers. They're uh, evildoers. And as you've probably noticed, they're everywhere just like the parable talks about. 
And so verse 26 says, when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Now, in all likelihood, the weeds in this parable are a plant called darnel, a weedy rye grass that has poisonous black seeds. Early in their life cycle, when they first sprout, darnel and wheat look a lot alike. You really can't tell much difference between them. That's not entirely uncommon between new Christians and unbelievers. But by harvest time, the difference is quite obvious. But the thing is, the roots of Darnell entangle themselves around the roots of the wheat. It's impossible to pull the weed out without ripping out the wheat in the process. So Jesus tells us that the master's servants, right, the servants of Jesus, uh, translating the parable into what it means, discover these weeds growing with the wheat and ask, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Now, this sounds a lot like us, right? Think about it, right? Don't we cry out to the Lord saying, Lord, you are all powerful and you are all good. So did you put this evil here? Don't you have good plans? What's going on? How are there massacres in your world, Lord? How can there be injustice and suffering and wickedness? Why do you permit evil in the world? The servants are asking exactly what we ask when we discover evil in our own family, or we are betrayed by a friend, or we are mistreated by a boss, or we are victimized by a criminal, or we're hurt by a a system or institution that's supposed to protect us. We cry out for justice, and we are frustrated, and we're angry about God's apparent lack of concern or else his weakness in the face of evil. The servants were eager to rip out the weeds, just like we are eager for God to go and rip out all those evildoers in the world around us, aren't we? But remember what I said about the the roots of the weeds entangling with the roots of the wheat. Our lives are intricately entangled with the lives of those that either we or someone else considers evil. And, And honestly, the weeds are unbelievers. So our lives, how many of us here have lives that are entangled intricately with unbelievers? I would imagine almost everyone here. Jesus, the master, assures his servants that the evil comes from the devil. God is all good. Evil does not exist because God is evil. Evil exists because the devil is, for the time being, a free and active agent in this world. Evil exists because we humans chose and continue to choose evil. Jesus, the master, forbids his servants from ripping out the weeds. No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Think about that for a little while. As bad as the weeds are, as bad as evil is, God is so concerned for his beloved children, he does not want to risk any of his children to be uprooted in the process of wiping out the weeds. Many of us have deep love and affection for unbelievers. If all of the unbelievers, all of the wicked of the world were suddenly ripped out, it would be incredibly destructive. But that day will come. Jesus promises with an absolute 100% guarantee 
that ultimate justice is coming. The master says to let the wheat and the weeds keep growing side by side until harvest time. That's when Jesus returns, and he will absolutely return. It is then and only then that the weeds will be gathered and burned and the wheat gathered into the master's barn. At the end of this age, the wicked and the evil and the unjust will be gathered and damned into an eternity in hell. And the children of God, the followers of Jesus Christ, will be gathered to spend eternity in his glorious presence. Praise God for that. There are a lot of lessons and implications from this parable, but I want to focus on those that underlie that central truth that I've summarized up here. Live in our weedy world. Take comfort in God's justice. I want to begin with three implications or lessons from the Bible that I believe help us live in a world of weeds. One, engage with the world. Don't escape it. Evil and evildoers are, unfortunately, an integral part of our fallen, weedy world. The parable is illustrating that very vividly. Jesus explains that God permits evil to continue because the good, those adopted as his children through faith in Jesus Christ, need the opportunity to grow to full maturity and strength and fruitfulness for the glory of God. God uses our experiences of evil and injustice and suffering and trials in this fallen world for our good. And yes, it feels terrible while we're in the midst of those. Let's be honest. It's okay and good to be honest. It hurts. And yes, evil may even claim our mortal lives, but God still uses it. He doesn't cause it. He uses it. He uses it for our Good. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 commands, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God uses our experiences of evil and suffering to prove our faith, to test and strengthen it while perfecting our character in Christ. God leaves those weeds wrapped around our roots so that we will grow to full maturity and fruitfulness as followers of Jesus Christ. Now today is, as you've probably noticed, St. Patrick's Day. Or else everyone except me got some memo about wearing green. Now, the real St. Patrick is far more remarkable than the mythical St. Patrick we've created who sent out snakes and made green beer or whatever. (laughs) The real St. Patrick was a nominal Christian in Roman Britain in the late 300s, early 400s. When he was 16 years old, he was kidnapped by Irish raiders and enslaved for six years in Ireland. He was, as I said, a nominal Christian at the time he was kidnapped. And it was in that six years of suffering, six years amongst the weeds, that he came to a genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ, that he understood the implications of what it meant to be in Christ. He found his strength and his comfort in Christ in that time surrounded by the weeds. 
It was only after that six years in the field that God gave him a vision that he could escape, pointed him to the coast. He made a 200-mile escape on foot to the coast where a ship happened to be about to leave to sail back to England, which he is able to talk his way into and go home. Where in his great gratitude to God, he committed his life to become a priest. And we're going to stop the story here. We're going to pick it up later. But he was transformed by his experience in the weeds. Over the centuries, many Christians have yearned to escape this weedy field we know so well. We see monasteries that have been built for centuries to escape the world. It is a powerful temptation, right? Being around all those weeds drags you down after a while sometimes. We see it today the way many conservative Christians will try to withdraw as much as possible from the world around us and replace the world with sort of a parallel evangelical Christian universe. Right? Where we will try to get away from the world and the weedy influences of the world. And, and of course, biblically, we are called to be careful about what we let into our hearts and our minds and the hearts and minds of our children. But we have to resist the temptation to escape from this world because that is not biblical. As Christians, we're supposed to engage with this world, not escape it. We, wheat, are supposed to be amongst the weeds. We're called to make friends with unbelievers and live alongside them for God's glory. We're not called to become like them. We should look very different. But we have been forbidden to step away from this world. Remember what Christ prayed for us in John chapter 17, verses 15 and 16. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus wants you and I engaged with this weedy world. And to escape is an ungodly temptation. We need to Resist that temptation just as we resist the influence of the world on our hearts and minds. Lesson two is to work for justice. Improve the field, if you will. Clean it up. Because the Bible is clear from beginning to end that we are supposed to be influencing the world around us toward God. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Right, we must do and seek justice in the world, loving our neighbors and treating them as we would like to be treated. We are supposed to be actively promoting justice in the world. That's what Jesus means when he commands us to be salt and light. Because salt was a flavoring then, as it is today, but it was far more important 2,000 years ago as a preservative. It was the thing that prevented rot in an era that had no refrigerators. And so Christ's followers, as salt and light, we're supposed to be flavoring and, and preserving and protecting our culture from rot. I see a lot of rot around us, so we've got some work to do. Right? We're not supposed to be settling for the status quo. And that's what part of what it means to be the lighthouse, right? Our vision and emphasis as a lighthouse for Christ at the corner of Clipper and Mariner, right? We are called to be a church and to be people who are engaged in this world around us for God's glory. Because we can make a difference. Sometimes we get discouraged and say, what can we do? Right? There's two temptations that we'll talk about. One is like, I can't do anything about it. Well, 
Guess what? It was evangelical Christians who ended the global slave trade. It was evangelical Christians who battled for the abolition of slavery in the United States before the Civil War. As Christians, we absolutely have a role to play in fighting for the end of human trafficking and defending the unborn and and ending racism and bringing about reconciliation and protecting the most vulnerable among us and caring for the poor. And yet the other thing we have to realize, as this parable reveals, there will always be a limit to what we can accomplish. It is wrong to say, we can't do anything, so why try? And it is wrong to say, oh, we can fix everything, so let's get busy. No, we are called to improve the field, but there are limits to what we can accomplish because the world around us will always have weeds, it will always have evil and injustice until Jesus returns. Perfect justice will never exist on earth until Jesus returns when he will destroy evil and establish the new heaven and earth. But we have plenty of work to do until then. Because we must also remember point three. That through the power of the gospel, weeds can become wheat. Remember, the wheat are those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, while the weeds are those who haven't. As someone embraces Christ, when we do, we are instantly transformed, right? From weeds to wheat. So the most important thing that we can and must be doing as followers of Jesus Christ is to reach out and share our hope in Christ. We look around and we rightly lament the evil and the injustice. We see wickedness and incivility and immorality and abuse, and we're outraged by it. Let me tell you, as Christians, we need to first and foremost see that what we are seeing is a lack of the gospel. Evil, ugliness, despair, and darkness prevail where the gospel is not at work because nobody's sharing it. Those forces are prevailing in the United States right now because Christians would rather talk politics than share Jesus with those who disagree with them. We would rather speak in anger than act in love. We would rather grab for temporary earthly power and governmental support than rely on eternal power and God's blessing and shame on us. Christians, we need to stop complaining about the world, start living like Jesus, and share our hope with anyone and everyone we can possibly share our hope with. Sharing our hope is part of our five to thrive. Right? It's an essential part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And when we share our hope, we are advancing God's kingdom and we are pushing back the domain of darkness. And that's our job. Right? That's why we're in this field right now. That's why God put us here to be a lighthouse for Christ at the corner of Clipper and Mariner. And so we need to be praying and we need to be doing and we need to be loving and we need to be sharing so that many will experience what we already have. What Paul celebrates in Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Here I want to pick up the story of St. Patrick. He's gone back home. He's gone to England. He's become a priest. He's given his life to God. Fantastic. And God gives him a vision that says, dude, go back to Ireland and teach them Christ. Could you imagine that after six years of slavery in a barbaric pagan country? God says, go back. 
love these people, teach them Jesus, and he goes. And he commits the rest of his life, a life of amazing stories against much opposition to bring Christianity to Ireland. Through his efforts, he established a movement that would Christianize the entire country. And moreover, it was a very evangelistic, outward-focused movement of Christ that would ultimately influence all of Northern Europe for Christianity. That's the real St. Patrick. He turned weeds into wheat. And we are called to do the same. And I understand that despite all that, as we learn to live in a world of weeds on a day-in, day-out basis, it can be incredibly frustrating. And that's why we need to embrace that second major element of the parable. The ultimate point of the parable, really, which is to take comfort in God's ultimate justice. Right? God will prevail, but it's on his timeline, not ours. The answer to the problem of evil is about our perspective, and this parable is fundamentally about helping us get God's perspective, not our short-term perspective. This parable guarantees the justice that we're crying out for, just not before Christ returns. Evil will be punished forever. Good will be rewarded forever. It may not happen in our earthly lifetimes, but the perspective we need to get is to realize that's a tiny little bit compared to the massive length of all eternity. Infinite eternity stretches before us. So whether our lives are 10 years, 100 years, it's brief. It's a, it's a snap in the time of eternity. Jesus concludes the parable by summarizing the future of this world. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. These are powerful words because God's will and justice will ultimately prevail forever. We can count on that. Those who sin doing evil, going against the will and word of God, will face eternal judgment and damnation. Jesus is talking about hell here. And I know it's not popular to talk about hell in church anymore. But Jesus did. He talked about hell a lot. And he's very clear, hell is real and hell is bad. Weeping and gnashing of teeth are bad. And it's what faces every single person who violates God's law and will for their life. Because every sin, whether we think it's a little sin that doesn't hurt anybody, or a major sin, separates us from the perfectly holy God of the universe and brings upon us His terrible anger. Every person on earth, every person in this room who is currently breathing, has sinned and will sin again. And this burning destruction and brutal torment is the default destination of every single person because we are all by nature weeds. But God in his infinite love desires something that is unbelievably greater for us. God loves us and wants us to be with him forever, not thrown into a fiery furnace. 
So God sent Jesus into the world to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus, in his perfect and innocent uh, nature and way of life, in his infinite, godly, yet fully man duality, paid the penalty for our sins when he died on the cross. Fully God and fully man, hung on a cross, carrying the weight of our sins. He died to save us from that eternity in hell that we actually deserve. Romans 3, verses 23 through 25 explains, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We are not justified or righteous because we are good people who do good works, right? We aren't wheat because we were particularly wheaty in our behavior. We can't do enough good things to ever be good enough for God. We can't ever be enough wheaty to actually become wheat if we're a weed. We are justified through faith in Jesus Christ alone. When we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God in His mercy and His grace declares us not guilty because the righteousness of Jesus is credited to our account. Amen. And that's why in in instant. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we are changed from weed to wheat. That is when we can finally begin to understand the beauty, the elegance of God's ultimate justice, the answer to those questions that frustrate us so. We can be comforted amidst our present evil circumstances. Jesus promises that God's ultimate justice, in this ultimate perfect justice, not only are the weeds punished forever, but the wheat, those made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ, will spend forever enjoying the presence and the pleasure of God. Verse 43 promises, "...and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father." Revelation 21, 3 and 4 describes our future if Jesus is our Savior. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, this is your future. This is the ultimate future and reward and justice for all those who are wheat, who have been made righteous through Christ. This is our future forever and ever, regardless of how much evil may surround us during our brief earthly lives. And so when you are struggling to keep your head up, and your spirit strong because of the injustice you see around you. Remember that God has a plan and a purpose for your life and for this church amidst a field of wheat and weeds. Take comfort, endless comfort, from the knowledge that one day God's ultimate justice will be done, and it will be beautiful, and it will be forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, 
you have heard our cries about the evil of the world we see. Lord, I know you know who here may even today be struggling with these questions and this, this issue. Lord, help us to find comfort in your word. Give us your insight and understanding of what eternal justice really means. We thank you for this lesson of Jesus. Lord, change our perspective from this earthly perspective that we just can't easily let go of because it's all we've ever known. Help us to grab hold of your perspective, or at least the promises you give of your perspective, that as we look over eternity, this brief life is very small, and your justice will be infinite and ongoing. And so, Lord, give us the strength and the courage to live in this weedy world in which we have been planted. Lord God, help us to trust in your goodness and your holiness and your righteousness and your love and your mercy. Help us to grow, (coughs) transform us through your spirit in this weedy world. Turn the evil of the world, the evil in our lives, into something good for your glory. Lord, help us to fulfill your mandate to promote justice, to work for the good wherever we can. While at the same time understanding that all ultimate justice and goodness will come only through you. Lord, lay upon us a burning desire to share our hope with those around us, Lord, because in your amazing grace, you can turn weeds into wheat, just as you have transformed each of us who are weeds into wheat. So, Lord, I pray for those who are close to us and those we encounter, that you would open hearts and minds to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, if there are some here who do not yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that you would your, your spirit would work in their hearts, that they would make that leap of faith. That they would embrace Jesus and the offer of grace you offer, Lord. That they would know the joy of being instantly transformed from weed to wheat. Lord, encourage us, strengthen us, but lay upon us the names of those that we need to most immediately begin sharing this good news with. And we know we need to share with all we encounter, Lord, but we also know that there are some you put in our path specifically for that purpose. Open our eyes to see. Open our hearts to care enough to do the work you've given us that yet one more may be saved from the fiery furnace and enjoy the glory of your presence. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.